This is Positive Parenting. Parenting expertise and advice from best-selling parenting author and national newspaper columnist, Mr. Dad, Armin Brott. Hey there, welcome to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott, the founder of MrDad.com. Most people have heard of postpartum depression, but what most people don't know is that anxiety and depression can also be experienced during pregnancy, and the impact can be both debilitating and devastating. In this part of today's show, we're going to be hearing from a writer, a blogger, a podcaster, that's all one person, she's also a mental health expert, with her personal story about prenatal anxiety and depression, severe postpartum anxiety and depression, plus her recovery process and hope for the future. Our guest also is going to be incorporating the advice and wisdom and clinical knowledge from an expert in the field of perinatal mood disorders, and she's going to be talking about risk factors and warning signs, definitions, and recovery options. And to top that off, she's also got a lot of stories from other women who have experienced that type of anxiety and depression. No longer are women going to have to suffer in silence or question their symptoms or try to hide their feelings because the devastating effects of prenatal and postpartum depression can be confirmed, treated, and managed. So if you've been in this situation or you know somebody has, the reality of it is is there is hope for a brighter future. And it all starts when Positive Parenting continues right after this. More with Mr. Dad, Armin Brott, after this. From the MrDad.com radio network. Hey, Dad. What? I can't get the ketchup bottle open. Here, let me try. Hmm. Yeah, stuck all right. Now watch. If you take your palm like this and smack it on the bottom right here, you can get it open pretty easily. Here you go. Thanks. You don't have to be a hero to be a hero. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To find out how you can adopt, please visit our website at adoptuskids.org or call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brunt, and my guest for this part of today's show is Rebecca Fox Starr, who's the author of Beyond the Baby Blues, Anxiety and Depression During and After Pregnancy. Rebecca, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. So let's talk about one of the words here, which I think is something that people don't necessarily associate with depression. I mean, you hear a lot about postnatal depression uh, and baby blues and things like that, which is obviously part of the title. But I think a lot of people don't realize that depression is something that can come up during pregnancy as well. And talk about that. and, And is this only because we're told that women who are taking antidepressants for depression before they get pregnant, should probably get off of them. And so is, is it because the, the symptoms are coming back of what's already there, or is this something that is caused or aggravated by the pregnancy itself? So I can speak to both um, kind of parts of your question. 
but I will preface this by saying that I'm actually not a clinician. This is my that's, story, and I do fine. have actionable advice, but I'm going to speak from my own personal experience and the research I've done and the clinicians with whom I've spoken. Is that okay? That's fine. Sure. Okay. So to answer your first question, I, I really so appreciate the fact that you kind of honed in on the, on the word prenatal because that is the much lesser known, much lesser spoken about cousin, so to speak, to postpartum depression. Postpartum depression is kind of a buzzword. If people don't fully understand it, they at least kind of have a vague grasp of what it is. But prenatal depression, even for people who have access to medical care and who are, you know, have perhaps had babies before, don't always know that it's an actual diagnosable thing. Um, And I'm one of those people. So it's something that I really, with this book, tried to bring, uh, shine a spotlight on the fact that this does exist. There are star treatment options for it. And it's also a really, really good way to set oneself up for success. Um, If a pregnant woman is having symptoms of prenatal anxiety or depression, it does put her at a greater risk for postpartum distress. And so it's really important to catch. And just more simply, no one should have to suffer and struggle. And so often during pregnancy, women are told um, by no fault of any physicians or anything, but are told, well, you're pregnant. Of course you don't feel well. You're pregnant. That's how everybody feels. And there are some things that are quote unquote normal or statistically average or to be expected. But when the pain or the anxiety outweighs the joy, then I think it becomes something really, truly diagnosable. So I'm really glad to be able to highlight the prenatal aspect of this. Um, to, to your second question and your second point, for, for it's interesting because my story is somewhat unique in that I did not have any diagnosable mental health issues before I was pregnant with my second child and experienced this. So Number one, I had already experienced a normal pregnancy with my daughter, had a normal Mm -hmm. postpartum period, and did not experience any real diagnosable anxiety or depression. You know, some things were scary, some things were hard, but totally something, the things were totally things with which I could cope. But with my son in 2013, so three, three and a half years later, I had prenatal anxiety almost from the very beginning. And I had no idea what it even was. I had no idea what was going on. I just know that I did not feel well, that I was nervous all the time. And I was like sinking into this dark abyss. Um, And in terms of the the clinical advice and the medication, Mm -hmm. it is, of course, a controversial subject because people don't generally want to take medicine of any kind when they're pregnant. And well, right, you don't want to subject the growing fetus to whatever it is that's full strength for adults. Yeah, I mean that makes perfectly good sense. Yeah, exactly. And to be, we do so many things. We're told, don't eat deli meat, don't eat unpasteurized cheese. I know for me, especially with my first pregnancy, I didn't even want to take a Tylenol, which is considered completely safe for pregnancy. I just didn't want to do anything uh, to, that would potentially harm a growing, a growing baby. And at the same time, 
as I'm sure you can imagine, they don't do a ton of studies in terms of things that can affect pregnant women because for, for Seems obvious Seems a little reasons. unethical, yeah. Yes. Yeah, well, let, um, let's see however, what happens if we have them take arsenic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah. Like, with pregnant women, who's willing to sign up for um, experiments that may or may not have an effect on your growing baby? Uh, that's not super popular. But research does show, and from my limited layperson's knowledge, that there are certain antidepressants that are considered safe during pregnancy. And so it's really one of those risk-reward things, and it's a very personal decision. And if somebody is suffering to the point of being dysfunctional, um, someone is having so much anxiety that I'm not saying that they can't enjoy life and they're not happy, but I mean like everything from true, true, like severe anxiety and panic disorder all the time to not being able to leave the house, which means the person's probably not eating properly. They're probably not sleeping well. Their cortisone levels are really high in their bloodstream and not getting the proper uh, prenatal care. That Then that's when you have to start weighing, well, these drugs are considered these certain drugs are considered safe during pregnancy. Um, a lot of the anti-anxiety drugs are not. I know that there are certain antidepressants that are considered to be safe during pregnancy. Um, and you have to really kind of weigh what is better for the mother and the child in those situations. And again, it's such a personal thing, but there yeah. are a lot of instances that I was fortunately given, you know, given these examples of women who... Right. It would have been better for them to take medicine as opposed to not treating what was going on, even right. though they were medicating. That well, wasn't my let, story because I didn't know. Well, let's, let's rely on your, your experience and, and the, some of the people that you spoke with as well. Um, how, how is somebody who doesn't already have a psychiatric condition, somebody who, who is not taking medication, so may, like you, not be familiar with the symptoms of depression, how does she know when it's time to say, you know, maybe this isn't quite a normal thing that everybody gets, mm -hmm. and maybe I need some help. Oh, that's that's the big question. That's why I write what I write every day, because I want to expose people to the fact that it is kind of a fine line in terms of what is how you're supposed to feel, what are the things that are expected during pregnancy versus the things that are like you're saying you've kind of crossed that line and it's you're no longer okay and how does one know my personal barometer is and i alluded to this earlier but if you are finding that you can't really find any joy in your day if the good and darkness outweighs any you know color or light or vibrancy if you can't enjoy any of the things that typically would make you happy, then that is something that I think you need to really consider seeking help for. And but then you say, how does how does one know to even know if, if that makes sense? And that's why I'm trying to raise awareness. I'm trying to raise awareness with the general population, but also to these healthcare professionals, mental health professionals, so that when women are in the hospital going for just a regular OB checkup, the doctors do not just a physical exam and put a, um, a wand on the bellies to hear the heartbeat, but just do kind of a reality check with the woman. How are you feeling? Because 
they should really be trained to recognize some symptoms and saying, you know, are, are you emotionally okay? And they should, you know, hopefully at that point be able to make the necessary referrals if the person seems to be truly struggling. You know, do, do you think that that uh, the medical professionals are trained for this? I'm wondering because I'm just thinking back through through the course of, of three kids' pregnancies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the pregnancies that ended up with them being born. I mean, not that they were pregnant. Um, but, I, you know, I, I don't know how many dozens of prenatal visits I went to, and I don't recall anybody ever asking the mom, how are you feeling emotionally? Mm-hmm. Are, are, you, um, are you depressed? Are you happy? Are you, you know, or whatever it is. I mean, th- there's kind of how are you feeling, but the, the question is physically. I think that's the, the assumption. If you're just joining us, I'm talking with Rebecca Fox Starr, who's the author of Beyond the Baby Blues. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I'm going to ask Rebecca to talk a little bit about the idea of, hey, how are you doing above the neck? When I have an asthma attack, I feel scared. It's like tiny nails in the air poke my lungs. I start to cough. Sometimes my parents have to take me to the hospital. Today, one out of 13 children suffer from some form of asthma, accounting for nearly one-third of all emergency room visits. I feel like I'm choking. It's kind of like an elephant is on my chest. A little whistle sound comes out when I breathe. But while your child may suffer from asthma, asthma doesn't have to make your child suffer. There are simple ways you can prevent your child's next attack. To learn more, call 1-866-NO-ATTACKS. That's 1-866-662-8822. Log on to www.noattacks.org or call your doctor. Because even one attack is one too many. I feel like a fish with no water. Brought to you by the EPA, the Ad Council, and this station. You must be your fairy godmother. Yes. It doesn't take a fairy godmother to tell you that the right fit means everything. Good heavens, child. You can't go in that. Children under 4 foot 9 need to be in a booster seat because they aren't ready for adult safety belts alone. Many parents miss the important step of booster seats. Maybe you better explain things to him. Booster seats raise your child up so that a safety belt designed for adults will fit and protect them properly. Oh. That does make a difference. Remember that four foot nine is the magic number. And get your little pumpkin there safely <laughs> in a booster seat. Hop it, my dear. Oh, thank you. And like Cinderella, you can live happily ever after. It's like a dream. A wonderful dream come true. For more information, visit boosterseat.gov. This has been a message from the U.S. Department of Transportation and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott, and if you're just joining us, I'm talking with Rebecca Fox Starr, who's the author of Beyond the Baby Blues. And just before the break, I started to ask you a question about whether you think that medical professionals, OBs and those folks, are trained to deal with issues that are going on above the neck as opposed to below it. (laughs) That's a great way to say it. I can't make a blanket statement about all professionals, but I know that I'm working really, really hard to try to get people to to listen in terms of from medical professional side of things, not just to put it on the women to have to ask for help, because I do think that I want to empower women to ask for help, but that's a lot to ask when somebody's, you know, really low and not in a good place. 
do I think that the medical professionals are trained? The reason why I wrote this book in the way that I wrote it, and it's not just a memoir in my story, is it has you know actionable advice, it has research, and has scientific data. It's I wrote it so that it would be ordered and read by classes of medical students, which it has, and libraries. And in, I'm not saying my book is going to change things, but I'm right. hoping that the mental health dialogue is starting to become more um, more prevalent mm-hmm. um, between people because you know we are now fortunately talking way more about mental health than we ever did before. But I'll tell you that my you know this is 2013 when I had my son and I kept saying, I don't feel right. I am scared. I'm scared to have another C-section. Um, in fact, the day I went in for my C-section, my doctor, who's a great guy and, and a father of four. And at the time, I don't think he really knew just how bad I was. And when I went in for my C-section, um, my doctor said, wow, this is the most color I've seen in your face in months. And I wanted to be like, yeah, because I have not been okay. And I even remember at the very end, like I'm, you know, maybe 37 weeks pregnant, something like that, having my mom come with me because, you know, I was a 28-year-old woman, but I said, Mom, like, I need help. No one's listening to me. I, I think I need to deliver this baby because I can't take this anymore. And then, then you go to the risk reward of you don't want to deliver a baby too early, of course, but you also don't want the mother to be to be suffering. So I think that there's a lot that can be done in terms yeah. of training physicians so that they can recognize, you know, as you said, above the neck as well as everything else that they treat. All right, let's talk a little bit about what's going on as far as treatment options once it's been decided, whether that's you decide on your own, if you're self-aware enough or if you do get the kind of help that you need and you're talking to a mental health professional, what do you do about this to get yourself on track do you have to wait until after the baby's born so you can start taking medication or you mentioned that there are some that are okay to take during pregnancy so how does it all go with the not only medication but the the family support that you need as well the first thing i would say is very general but ask for help it is scary it is confusing um it's complicated because when you are pregnant, especially, you know, if you've tried hard to get pregnant or for whatever reason, it's a really complicated mix of emotions, including guilt, because you should feel so happy that you're pregnant. You know, this is what you've been wanting. You've been waiting for this. And to be expected to feel wonderful and have people say, oh, isn't this the best time in your life? And you look glowing. But to feel so miserable on the inside is its own exquisite form of pain. And so just asking for help is so brave and also completely crucial. For me, I, as somebody who didn't previously suffer from mental health issues, it was not, it was not like I had a therapist who I was seeing regularly who kind of picked up on it. I failed the postpartum screening in the hospital miserably. But at this point, I'd already given birth. Um, and they still, to be honest, didn't do anything. So I really had to advocate for myself. But what I would suggest for somebody in terms of a course of treatment, as you said, um, ask for help in a way that makes you feel comfortable. It really depends on each individual woman's situation. If you have 
a partner or a family member or somebody that you are close to and you can say, I don't feel right, then then that's that's who you turn to first and just say, you know, I don't, I'm not feeling right. Um, in terms of more professionally, for, for me, I should say, my husband actually said to me, are you okay? Um, I see the light starting to go out in your eyes 10 days after my son was born. And because of that, I started to see a therapist mm-hmm. and that took me on my road to treatment. Well, so but that, that brings else, up, that brings up an interesting question as well, because there's there seems to be another part of this. So there's ask for help, but there are going to be probably a pretty large percentage of people who don't really realize that they need the help. And that puts some of the responsibility, I mean, I don't, I don't want to say this in a guilt-inducing kind of way, but for, for people to be like your husband, to be paying attention and to offer help when they see that there's a problem and not assume that everything's under control. Completely. And it's, it's like, how can we reach everybody, all humans, physicians, people who are just partners or family members of pregnant women to say, by the way, during this nine months of pregnancy and then the postpartum period, keep a close eye out and watch out for these warning signs. That's what I've written about in my blog and my book, but that's not the majority of people in this world are not reading my words. And so I'm trying to raise awareness about that because it does put responsibility on a partner, but, and that's where, once again, most women hopefully are getting um, physical or paying physical attention during their pregnancy. So they're going to some kind of prenatal checkups and visits. And that's where you really want to try to get a, doctor, nurse, whoever, nurse practitioner, whoever it is that person is saying to take note or to steer this person in the right direction. For me, funny enough, um, at 33 weeks pregnant, I got a migraine and I had to go see a neurologist and he was the only person to listen to me. And as I sat and sobbed in his office at 33 weeks pregnant saying, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I want another baby, which is not an easy thing to say. And even now, four and a half years later, it's not easy for me to admit that. Um, This, you know, headache specialist who's an incredible physician said to me, I'm not worried about anything neurological with you, but I'm worried you're going to have this baby and develop a walloping case of postpartum depression. And as I sat in his office crying, he dictated a memo to my OB and said, you need to take this patient seriously. She you know, she needs help. So had he not said those words, had I not Hmm. kind of broken down and had he not said those words, I don't know that it would have been so um, kind of in the forefront of my mind, not in a self-fulfilling prophecy type way, but once it happened and I started to feel really low after the baby was born, I kind of was, I was able to go back to that moment and say, Somebody told me about this. I know what this is. I now know what this is. And so I knew what to ask for. And because I had shared that with my husband, he knew what to look for. But that was like almost a fluke. I was lucky that I got a migraine that took me to the neurologist that gave me those words. We can't expect for that to happen to everyone. Um, But I think that what I said before really applies to anyone, like a, a doctor, a support system member, like family member or partner or medical professional, you really have to say, is this person experiencing 
the typical tiredness, you know, this is difficult, physical pain, physical discomfort, either before or after pregnancy, or is this a true problem that we need to treat? And if so, how? Because, and, and that's the place where you have to kind of, as I said before, figure out the line between, okay, well, this is hard and I'm tired and I'm exhausted and I kind of wish I was off this hamster wheel, but I'm still like, oh my gosh, look at my baby. I'm, I'm happy and I'm enchanted. Birth, which is kind of my first experience of when I first became a mother in 2010. It was hard, but I was able to feel much more joy than any negative emotions versus the second time where it was a world of darkness. I couldn't find any joy anywhere. And fortunately, I had people around me who could see that and who kind of insisted when I wasn't strong enough, they insisted that I get the proper help. Rebecca Fox Stars, the author of Beyond the Baby Blues, Anxiety and Depression During and After Pregnancy. Hey, Rebecca, thank you. Ever notice when you have a baby, everyone seems to give you advice? From your mother-in-law, don't you know you can't take that baby out in the rain today? And where is her hat? To your own parents. You should take the baby outside every day, even in the rain. To your friends. You have got to get this diaper cream. It is so much better than the one you've been using. When it comes to the important stuff, like immunizations and protecting my baby's health, I trust my baby's doctor. She really listens to my questions about shots, she gives me great information, and she works with me to make sure my baby gets protected. And that's something even my mother-in-law can agree with. Honey, I totally support you getting the baby vaccinated, but really, shouldn't you put the baby's hat back on? A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brant, and it's time for a Parents at Play segment. How many times have we told our kids to use your words? These great new games will give kids some extra practice doing exactly that. Word Rush from Tactic Games. Ah, another game where you come up with words that match a certain category. But this one has a few new twists. First, once a category card has been selected, Players turn over nine letter cards and then take turns listing words that start with one of those letters. Second, the instant you've said your word, you flip over the sand timer, and the next player has to say a word or flip the timer back before time runs out. The faster you answer, the less time you leave the next player. Of course, you can adjust the rules to make things easier or more challenging. Under $18, it's for two to six players ages eight and up. Tactic net is where you can find out more. Word Slam from Thames and Cosmos. Yep, another get-your-team-to-guess-the-answers game, but with a few twists. First, two teams compete at the same time. Second, although this game is kind of like charades, the storyteller, that's the name of the person who's supposed to guide his or her teammates to the right answer, can't speak, sing, or act, and has to give clues using one of 105 word cards that feature an adjective, noun, preposition, or verb. For example, if your answer is school, storytellers might lay out cards with the words building, child, place, and day, or for GPS unit. Clues might include things like technology and man. Comes with 200 answer cards with a total of 1,200 terms divided into four difficulty levels. Also includes card holders, a timer, and more. 
under $26 for two teams ages 12 and up, thamesandcosmos.com. Show me the Quan from Gridley Games. In this fast-paced game, someone picks a category card, and players call out words that correspond to the flock of lettered dice. But as you might expect, there is a twist. One of the dice says first, second, or last, and that's the place in the word where the dice on the table must appear. For example, if the category is with a tail and the second die is showing, correct answers would include otter, albatross, monkey, and ocelot. Cost about $12.50 for ages 8 and up at playgridleygames.strikingly.com. Lominoes from Chronicle Books. If you guess that this game is dominoes but with llamas instead of dots, you're only half right. True, there are no dots, but figuring out which pieces match up with each other is a bit more complicated. For example, you need to match Lamonardo da Vinci and many other zany characters top and bottom. It's great for busting boredom, develops matching skills, and stimulates childish giggles, a sound that makes life worth living. Includes 28 lominoes, costs $12.99, and it's for two to four players ages three and up. More information at chroniclebooks.com. You can get a lot more information about toys and games and a lot of other great activities to do with your kids and family at our website, parentsatplay.com. We'll be back next week with more segments for you. Until then, I'm Armin Brandt. Thanks for listening to Positive Parenting. You can get more information on today's show and what we're working on in the weeks ahead at MrDad.com. While you're there, visit the MrDad.com gift shop with everything you need to help you become the dad or mom you want to be. Positive Parenting is a production of the MrDad.com radio network. Now, go be a great parent.